Hi and welcome to God's Word in 30 minutes. It's always an honor to bring God's Word to you and I'm excited about it. Let's pray, shall we? Our Father, we thank you for your word taught with clarity. We thank you for insight and revelation into your word. We thank you because skills, skills will fall off our eyes. We thank you because light will flood our hearts. We thank you because we will be established and strengthened in all of your will. To the praise and the glory of your name. Amen. Alright, so last time out we um, not exactly began. Um, we, I think, continued is the right word. I'm not entirely sure again um, to look at the Christian faith. So we're going to look at the Christian faith and what this really entails. And one of the reasons why we're exploring this is to the end that the heart is convinced. Um, you know, Paul, sorry, Peter in Second Peter. When he was writing this last episode, he said, We do not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and the glory of God. And I find that very instructive. He said, We did not follow cunningly devised fables. In other words, the things we said to you were not things that, you know, we coined up or thought of of ourselves. They were things that have precedence and facts in the Holy Scriptures. And so, one of the things that every believer must do for himself is to, well, not exactly, well, find out from the scriptures the truth about the faith that we profess. And usually that comes by the teaching of God's word. I know uh, I've heard many people say things like every believer should know God for himself and read the Bible for himself and, um, you know, study God's word for himself. And I think that that's very true. In fact, I'm a proponent proponent of that course, you know, that every believer should study the Bible for himself and know God for himself. But you see, I want to say something, by the way, by the side of what we're going to discuss. And that's that's that God's ideal plan, and many people may find this very insultive, but it's just the honest truth. God's ideal plan is that nobody comes into the knowledge of God's word, God's word all by himself. Many people don't understand that. God's ideal plan is that people are taught. That's God's ideal plan. And that's why in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul says he gave some apostles, um, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. He says for the equipping of the saints, right? For the training of the saints. So God's ideal plan is that every man is taught. There is... There is none of us, and so and so. I always say like this: that the way a man will come into understanding the Bible for himself is because first of all, he has been taught by somebody who was taught by somebody. Now, of course, there's been there's been instances and cases in the earth and the world where people had to, you know, know God's word for themselves by themselves. Sometimes we are a supernatural appearance and all of those things, but God's ideal plan. Is that men are taught in first peter you find peter say that um that they should desire the sincere milk of the word he says by which they will grow thereby in their salvation so peter tells them to desire the milk of the word and that statement the milk of the word and i don't know if i've said this before here but that statement milk of the word actually means that someone will teach you so desire the teaching of the word that's basically what it means it's a figure you know when you say that uh, a mother cow 
and the calf the mother cow feeds the calf the milk from the mother calf so the mother calf would feed the calf of what the mother calf has taken and digested basically that's how milk is formed in the in the mother child relationship so the idea or the ideal god's ideal is that every man would have a shepherd that feeds him and then he would grow to shepherd others that's god's ideal but many people don't seem to get that so you don't and and one of the things i remember that years ago when there was there were issues um that some my friend and some myself and some of my friends spoke about a few issues bible doctrine um theology and how many people were being brainwashed by their churches and all of those things and because we which is one of the issues we faced i don't know what i'm saying this today but we we didn't have that luxury or that um joy better put and that pleasure not luxury actually should not be luxury we didn't have the pleasure of learning god's word within the setting of a local church structure and because that didn't happen to us it it became we grew some sort of animosity towards the a local church where God's word was not taught. And, you know, we began, you know, go for special meetings in local churches where God was taught and where God is taught clearly and all of those things. But one day I told my friend, I remember I, had, I spoke with one of my friends, um, he's an evangelist today. And, and I told him, I said, you know, God's ideal is that we rely on those who teach us, right? That's God's ideal. I don't believe that um, Timothy would ever face any question on a Bible subject and he would not be able to say, like Paul taught me. I, I, I think that I think that if Timothy doesn't quote Paul, then something is wrong somewhere, right? I mean, that's the person who taught you. And in fact, 2 Timothy in chapter 3, if you follow through, we, we saw 2 Timothy in chapter 3, 14, 15, 16 extensively. In, chapter, in verse 14 of 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul says, Continue the things that you've learned and you've been assured of, knowing who taught you. I, 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 always, I always tell people in church, that's a very important statement. Knowing who taught you. Like, continuing these things because you know who taught you. And, and, and that's important. It means that God's idea is that we believers feed off believers who technically are elders that's what peter calls them elders right they're elders they've matured in the things of the faith and then they communicate those things towards us and we receive of them till we mature and then we can communicate the same to others and so that's god's ideal that's god's ideal god's ideal is that we believers feed from other believers so that there's the setting in the church the pastors the apostles evangelists and and uh, and prophets and teachers to the equipping of the saints. so god's plan is not that anybody is going to come into the knowledge of god's word all by himself now does that happen yes and usually that happens because the person was first taught now that's again another thing to note the person was first taught by somebody and then their teaching and learning and like the writer of Hebrews to say exercises by ex- by the use and the exercise of his senses now he can grasp deeper truths by himself he can pick up the bible and study for himself understand things better uh, uh, but we all didn't start like that all right nobody starts like that nobody starts like that to say but how about paul paul had visions from jesus and jesus appeared to paul and taught him there's no place in the scripture that says jesus appeared to paul and taught paul 
the Bible. Uh, we don't know if that happened. My point is there's no place in the scriptures that points to that. But one of the things that is emphatical in um, that's important in those writings is that you find that Paul is explaining the scriptures. And in fact, when he came to the, the subject matter of the gospel of Jesus in 1 Corinthians and chapter 15, Paul says, that which was delivered unto me, right? That is, they told me this. This one is not like I discovered from the Lord. No, 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 no. I was taught this. This was delivered to me. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. It was delivered unto me. And by that statement, it doesn't mean that he, it was delivered to him by an angel or for some sort of revelation. No, no, no. It simply means that this is what was communicated through the times. This was what was taught. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and on and on. So I said all of that, taking a chunk of my time already to say that God does not intend that, well, yeah, God does intend that we, by reading the Bible, we understand the truths for ourselves. But God's plan is that we are taught, all right? Uh, and then by the vehicle of being taught, we proceed to know better and then we can teach other people. And so you find the writer of Hebrews say in, the, in his letter to the Hebrews where he says that now you are supposed to be teachers, but you still need someone to teach you. So th th there are always those, those phases of growth. You learn first by being taught then you grow into teaching others and that doesn't stop you from being for from maintaining an attitude of its student all right you are still being taught by whoever is teaching you but you also now have oversight over other people okay so we've gone back and forth over that so god does want you to have a teacher all right god wants you to learn god's word and it, his intention is that you have a shepherd you find out in the book of jeremiah where he says that i'll i'll give them shepherds pastors after my heart so god wants you to have a shepherd somebody who feeds you god's word regularly you see except that you're a member of the church that i pastor i don't expect that god's only 30 minutes is the only way or only avenue where you hear the truth of god's word regularly i don't expect that to happen now of course there are there are distinct cases. There are people who maybe NYSE caused you to go somewhere and you're far away from your local church where you used to feed on God's word regularly or something or some other thing, whatever. There, 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 are, there are many weird cases, all right? There, there are many things that can happen that, that it happens that this is like the only steady avenue of God's word that you have. But logically, that should not be, all right? And I said this at the very first episode. I said this is some sort of addition to what you feed on every Sunday and the midweek services. This is not a replacement, all right? This is an addition, except maybe you're not being fed well. But <laughs> that's that's not the subject matter for today. So, having said all of that, we... Whoosh, looking at my time. We stopped off last time by saying that the gospel, or rather the Christian faith, hinges, rests on the authenticity of the holy scriptures genesis to malachi and then we said that the christian faith is based on two things jesus died or the sufferings of christ and the glories that would follow that should follow or that has followed the sufferings of christ and the glories that followed so the 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 whole of the christian faith is basically hinged on those two things and those two things are hinged on or basically, that's the whole of the Christian faith, better put. And then, those two things are hinged on all the scriptures put together. Now, of course, you, we don't mean that every portion of the scripture talks about Jesus. But there are very clearly things stated in the scriptures about the Christ. And we saw also last time out that the 
the apostles in the book of Acts and Jesus in Luke 24, he spoke clearly about this faith, all right? And one of the very things that was mentioned consistently, almost repetitively, is the fact that Christ died for our sins or that repentance and remission of sins forgiveness of sins should be preached in his name so there was a lot of emphasis on forgiveness of sins and i said we're going to explore that because john in john and chapter one when he saw jesus and he was talking to his disciples he said behold the lamb of god that takes away the sin of the world and i said that that statement is vital because the audience of john who are his disciples now uh, let me say this john was a preacher so when you say john has disciples it means that he has students who learn of him now uh, it's always important to say that because many times we think about john and we just think john the baptist or john who baptizes people with water or in water but really water baptism is not all there is to the ministry of john actually the primary ministry of john was the ministry of a preacher or a prophet as it were because john the Bible tells us that John goes, John went ahead to prepare the way for the Messiah. So John's work was really that work of a preacher, not just somebody who put people in water. So the water baptism that John did was a, a figure of what he was teaching. All right. So John was a preacher. But then John, who was baptizing people in water for repentance and forgiveness of sins, basically, that's what he was doing. The Bible tells us in Matthew and Mark that. People came to John to confess their sins and be baptized in water. So John was basically point talking about some sort of forgiveness of sins or, or deliverance from sins as it were. But then in that same book of John, you now find in chapter 1 where John sees Jesus coming. And he says, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And I said last time out and now i need to get into what i want to say that because we are not jewish in origin we don't understand what he's talking about so let's explore that now very clearly we've seen that the christian faith has origin in the holy scriptures right genesis to malachi that's where we find the christian faith from so whatever we're going to look at in the christian faith we're going to see them in the scriptures now when john says the lamb of god that takes away I told you that that statement take away means to bear upon. That is, this one takes the responsibility for the sin of the world. He bears it upon himself. Now, Isaiah chapter 53. Let's, let's start from here. And then we would proceed. We'll see just how far we can go again. Time is... I'm running against time, as always. But it's fine. Isaiah chapter 53. I'm just going to jump right in because of time. It says in verse 4, Surely he had borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Can you see this now? So let, let's, we would have to start from verse 1 because of the context. So he says in from verse 1, he says, Who has believed our report and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form nor or comeliness. And when we see him, no beauty that we should desire. He is despised, rejected by men, a man of sorrow, acquainted with grief. And we eat, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely. Now this is important. Surely. He has born. Now this is the takeaway, right? 
Remember, I told you to take away means to bear upon. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteem him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our. So, can you see now? Can you see? So, the taking away of our sins that John says that Jesus did was that he took responsibility. I'm going to say that again. Jesus took away our sins by taking responsibility for our sins. I'm going to say that one more time. Jesus did not, Jesus took away our sins by bearing away our sins. And so when you say that behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, or you say that Jesus died for my sins, or you say that there is forgiveness of sins in Jesus, there is a context to what you are saying. That context, all right, is that Jesus bore upon himself our sins. All right? So look at this again. Our sins have been on Jesus laid. Hallelujah. Verse 4 again. He bore our griefs, carried our sorrows, esteemed and smitten, stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgression, was bruised for our iniquity. The statement for our peace was upon him. By his stripes, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone his own way. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That is important. The Lord has laid on him. He bears upon himself the iniquity of us all. He bears upon himself the iniquity of us all. And this, um, this thought is from the old testament writings all right so isaiah says he bears upon himself the lord has laid on him so when we say that when jesus says there's forgiveness of sins in his name or when the bible says that there's forgiveness of sins in the name of jesus there is a context it means he bore away our sins he took responsibility for my sins he took responsibility for your sins so let's go to a portion of the scriptures should we do that now because that is important to realize that the forgiveness of sins that Jesus gave was that upon himself, he took the responsibility for sin. Now, in Leviticus in chapter 16, you find one of the, I consider one of the most important portions of the scriptures. I consider it and I love it. Because in Leviticus in chapter 16, you find very clearly um a portion of the scriptures that many people avoid today but the portion that very clearly shows us the fulcrum of the 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 truth about what we believe in the christian faith because in leviticus in chapter 16 you find what is called the day of atonement and in the day of atonement the high priest all right makes a sacrifice for the sins of the people and I always like to say like this, the people, no matter what their sins are, they don't bear the responsibility for their sins. The high priest bears that responsibility. How interesting. And so, the, because when you say someone bears responsibility for sin, you mean that he's going to do something to deal with the sin problem. And that's what the, that was the work of the high priest. So in Leviticus in chapter 16, you find... Um, I'm going to ask you to go read it. I'm just going to go through a few portions of that of that um, chapter of the Bible. But in Le Leviticus in chapter 16, you find where um, God tells Moses 
to tell Aaron that this is how to make the sacrifice for the sins of the people. And that once in a year, he enters into the most holy place, first to make atonement for himself and his family, and then to make atonement for the people. And then is to take two goods, or two, one, um, yeah, two goods, one for a sin, both for a sin offering, all right, but one to be killed as an offering, then the other as a scapegoat. Now, those two goods are going to bear the sin of the people. If I let me say it like this. Moses, sorry, Aaron would take the responsibility for the sin of the people and Aaron would, by taking responsibility for the sin of the people, Aaron would now make sacrifice for them. So, the bearing of the responsibility is by making sacrifice for them. He makes sacrifice for their sins. Now, Aaron could not sacrifice himself, so he always had to take another goat or take another thing. I had a life for lives. But let's look at Leviticus 16. Because of time, I, I, I was hoping that I would be able to emphatically explain this, but I can't. Because I have to be very time conscious. Leviticus and 16. Numbre ethen mungeta ninata la mambre vet. Sunongre teketisis in an hata. Brenda logo tita etikis de padabriete sorobolo kite patati de bramamandu. So one of the things that you learn to do, one of the things that you must learn to do is to find confidence in what Jesus has done. What takes away confidence really is the lack of awareness or the lack of recognition or the absence of conviction in what has been done. You must assure your heart of the sacrifice of Jesus. That Jesus did something about your sins and he did a good job. And you have to assure your heart. Alright? Alright. That's it. That was the interpretation to what I said in tongues. In Leviticus in chapter 16, in verse... So, in the earlier verses, Aaron shall take for himself and his, and his house. I'll read, I'll read in portions. So, in verse... In verse... Um, for in verse 5 and he shall take from the congregation of the children of israel two kids of the goats a sin offering and one ram a burnt offering so he will take two kids right for sin offering then in in verse 15 then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering which is for the people bring his blood inside the veil do to that blood as he did with the blood of the bull and sprinkle it in the messesite and before the messesite so we take I'm going to say a few things now and I want you to pay attention to them. So we take, now Moses already said in, in earlier portions of the scriptures that in fact God told Moses that they should not eat any animal with the blood in it because the, the blood is where the life is, right? Good. Then God told the same thing to Noah that they should not eat any animal with the blood in it because the blood is where the life is. So life is in the blood, the life blood. So if you kill an animal and you take the blood of the animal for the for offering or for the sanctification, we're going to explore all of these things. I hope we will. It means this. Pay attention now. It means that what you are doing is a figure of a resurrection. Let me say it again. When you kill an animal, you usually you allow the blood to just go away. Because, I mean, you kill the animal and then the blood dries on the ground or wherever you killed it. Or you drain away the blood and you just go. And then you use the dead, the dead body. But this time around, when the animal is killed, the body is really not the 
factor here, the first thing to consider is the blood, the life. So from the dead animal, you will take the life. <laughs> so Jesus' death and then a resurrection. Because from the dead, you will find... So the life to be offered must be offered from one who has died. I'll take that again. The life to be offered must be the life of one who has died. So it will be a figure of a resurrection, life from a dead one. So Jesus' death was for... Do you see, do you see why, why the Bible says death of Jesus for our sins now? So his death was so that his life would be made an offering. Because in the Old Testament writings, in Leviticus, you take the blood of the animal that you killed. It is the blood of the dead animal that the, it is the life. Let me you, you, stop using blood. It is the life of the dead animal that becomes that which is offered. It is the life of the dead animal that becomes the sin offering. The offering itself is not the whole animal. It is the life of that animal. So the death of Jesus was to the end that he will become our sin offering or rather he died as our sin offering so that his life would be used to make atonement <laughs> now we're going to explain what atonement means all right because again maybe because of how we view the old testament writings we undermine the thoughts that are that are put in those words so he will make he will offer himself to die to the end that his life now becomes the sacrifice the sin offering for atonement. But that, that's not where it stops. Let me just rush through and then we'll pick it up next time. So we do that. And then you take the blood into the most holy place and sprinkle it. And then sanctify the place for the sins of the people. And then when it's done in verse 21. And, Aaron, and in verse 20. And when he had made an end of atoning for the holy place. The tabernacle of the meeting and the altar shall bring the live goods. So remember two goods. You now take the second goat now. And Aaron shall lay both of his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the children of Israel. So two goats. <laughs> I'm going to have to stop because of my time and then pick it up next time out. Two goats. So the first one, the life taken from the dead. Then the second one, it says you lay his hands on that goat. So the, his hands are still filled with the blood. I want you to picture what is happening. His hands are still filled with the blood of the goat that you took the life, right? And so his hands, has, his hands still has life, the life of, the, of that animal that was taken. And so he lays those hands on the life goat and confess over it all the iniquities of children of Israel. Now, that confession is not that he will start saying, Tolu stole uh, Tamedus rice, uh, uh, Bayo stole uh, Shewa's beans. No, 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 that's not it. He is the high priest. Maybe we'll explore this next time out. What the high priest means. He is the high priest. The one who is responsible for the sin of the people. <laughs> I'll say that again. He is the high priest. The one who is responsible for the sins of the people. If he fails in his job, the people would bear their sins upon themselves. But if he does his job well, these people will not bear their sins upon themselves. So he does the job of sin is a sin job all right the high priest handles the sin job and then this high priest will now lay his hands on this goat because first of all he cannot offer himself so he would offer 
a goat, the life from the goat. Then secondly, upon his head, he cannot bear the sin. So he will take another goat and put and confess the sins of the people on that goat. So that goat, the Bible now tells us that there will be a fit man that will take that goat and run into the wilderness with that goat and leave that goat in the wilderness. In verse 26, and he will... okay. Uh, and, and it goes on and on. And so somebody will take that goat and take that goat into the wilderness and leave it there. So that goat will be consumed by wild animals. And so the sins of the people are gone for one year. And then the next year, they will do the same. Their sins are gone for a year. And then the next year, they will do the same. And then their sins are gone for a year. And then the next year, they will do the same. So they were always doing something about their sins. Their sins are gone. Notice what I'm saying. Their sins are gone. Their sins are taken away. Born upon by another born upon by another i told you last week last time i said the word forgiveness in the new testament the greek word affesis is to deliver to separate to take away right to separate to deliver to break a bond right you separate so jesus did the work of the high priest the sin offering and the scapegoat is a high priest in that he stands for us then he offered himself to die for us. And then his life now becomes the offering to God. I will explain what I mean by offering to God. I don't mean that Jesus, God was looking for blood. right? The offering to God for our sins. And so, by his death, burial, and resurrection, Jesus made atonement for our sins. I'm going to have to stop here because of time. But I want you to go through Leviticus 16 and read again. And see Jesus as the high priest, Jesus as the sin offering, and Jesus as the scapegoat. And look at all the things that happened in this portion. Because then you would understand what exactly is happening here. This is the sacrifice of Jesus spoken in figures way before Jesus came. And I will to God that lights will flood your heart in this portion of the scriptures. This Leviticus 16. And you would understand what the scriptures mean when they say, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That is the work that Jesus did for sins. One, the prophets prophesied about it. Two, you find it very clearly in accordance with the work for the forgiveness of sins or the atonement of sins in the scriptures. I call you blessed. See you next time out. Remember to share this with someone. Cheers.